Welcome to Light of the Word Radio, sponsored by Lighthouse Baptist Church. This is Matthew, filling in for Pastor Eugene. When Christians are saved, what are they saved from? What does it mean to truly believe? What causes someone to believe, and who actually does believe? Today, Pastor Jim concludes Chapter 1 of Luke in this vitally important message. Here's Pastor Jim. Luke 1, beginning in the 67th verse. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Oh, Father, again I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me today. Father, I know I am a sinful, wicked man, but I also know that your grace has washed me clean. And because of your grace, I am able to stand here and proclaim your word knowing, Lord, that You will speak through me to these to draw them to Yourself. That You will speak through me, Lord, not because of who I am, but because of who You are. Oh, Father, I thank You that in Your mercy and Your grace You chose to save me and to use me. I ask that Your Spirit, Your Holy Spirit, move among this congregation, move among those who hear my voice today, that they may know You are God, that they may hear from Your Word, that they may hear from You. Lead me, Father, as You speak to these who are gathered. In Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. In way of review, we'll kind of just go back over what we've seen so far as we have started into this Gospel of Luke. We saw the angel Gabriel appear to Zechariah. And as the angel appeared to Zechariah, he told him that he and his wife Elizabeth in their old age would, would have a child. Zechariah doubted the angel Gabriel because of his doubt of, of God and what God was going to do. He was made mute and deaf for the next nine months approximately. Then we saw the same angel 
six months later, appeared to Mary and let Mary know that she was going to conceive of the Holy Spirit and that she would give birth to Jesus. Gabriel also told her that Elizabeth was in the sixth month of her pregnancy. So after Gabriel had left, Mary went to see Elizabeth. Mary spent about three months there. So six months into the pregnancy, Mary went, and three months later, Mary went home. So probably shortly, almost immediately after Mary went back, Elizabeth gave birth to her son. The community was overjoyed that God had taken Elizabeth's barrenness. And they came and they celebrated and they joined in the joyous time of this child's birth. And then came the moment of of naming the child. And the community and the family and the friends thought he should be named after his father who has been mute, who has been deaf. And Mary said, no, his name will be John. And the people couldn't believe it. They were shocked. Why would Mary name She doesn't have a relative named John. Who's John? So the people motion, make signs to Zechariah, asking him about the the name of the child. And he calls for a tablet, probably a wax tablet that could be used so he could write on it. And he writes, his name is John. And as soon as he has written this, God loosed his tongue and opened his ears. And he begins to praise God. And this is part of that praise. And we covered part of that last week as, as we, we went through and we looked at this prophecy, how, how he brings in the Davidic covenant, that covenant that, that God made with David, that there would be someone from David's line who would reign, who would be king forever. And we know that that someone is Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of that. We know that Jesus, his mother, is a descendant from David. But also, Joseph, who raised him, he wasn't the one who conceived him. He was the one who raised him. He was from the line of David. So Jesus fulfilled the Davidic covenant. And he will be our king forever. No matter whether you are in heaven with him, or if you are in hell and torment, He will be the King. Period. There is no distinction between the two as to who is God, who is King. Then He also, He he talks of, Zechariah talks in this prophecy and this praise, this, this Benedictus, He talks about the covenant that God made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the old covenant. And, and He talks about those descendants that will be as many as the stars. That He would be the Father of many nations. And we saw last week that that Jesus was the fulfillment of this as well. As Jesus, in Him, all who believe, all the elect, all the chosen, whatever you want to call them, all who believe in Jesus Christ who are Christian, they are a part of Abraham's seed. The spiritual seed. They are the true Israel. And then he turns to the child and prophesies about the new covenant. So I want to pick us up just after after he spoke of the Abrahamic covenant 
in verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear. We need to understand what it is that we have been saved from. We've talked about this before in here. We've looked at this before. We are saved from God Himself, right? From His wrath that He will pour out on all the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? The ungodly are every single person, no matter how nice and sweet or how dirty and rotten they are, who does not believe. Believe. The belief that they're talking about here is a belief of action. A lot of people profess to believe just so that they could receive the basic get-out-of-jail-free card for all you old Monopoly people. They want to receive the benefit, and that's it. That is not believing. That is not believing. That is bartering. That is negotiating. That is buying. But that is not believing. When someone believes, they believe because of what God has done in them and what God has done for them. So let's go to the cross for a moment. On the cross, a moment came on the cross when the wrath of God was dumped on Jesus Christ. The Bible puts it this way, He who knew no sin became sin for us all. He who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. There was no sin in Him. There was no sin about Him. Not original not committed, Jesus was perfect. He who knew no sin became sin. Upon Him, the sin of all who would believe was placed. The sin of all who would believe was placed. Some say, well, He died for everyone. Yes. Yes. And that death is efficient for all who believe. Because those who do not believe those who will not believe, those whether they are dead or whether they are going to die, outside of Christ, all of them had no place, no part in the payment that He paid. He paid for the elect, the chosen people of God. Remember more than once in the Old Testament when, when God tells Israel that He chose them? He said, I chose you. Not because of how many you are or how mighty you are, but He chose them out of His love. But we, as sophisticated Americans, believe that that was then and this is now. And too many believe that we choose Him. The only thing that would cause us to choose Him is when He has poured out His love on us and chosen us. He said, the Scriptures say, we loved Him because He first loved us. But this cross, Jesus takes the wrath of God that He didn't deserve, that belonged to all the elect, all the chosen, all the Christian, all who believe, and He took that on Himself and paid that price. When He did that, His righteousness was transferred to every one of us who believe. We have the righteousness of Christ over us. The Scriptures tell us to put on the righteousness of 
of Christ like we're putting on a cloak, like we're putting on a coat, a shirt. We, we are to be covered with the righteousness of Christ. We have been delivered from the hand of our enemy. What do you mean our enemy is? You saying God's our enemy? Well, the Scripture said, while we were yet His enemies, He sent His Son. So yes, but not only. Scripture also tells us to fear Him who can destroy not only just the body, but the soul. No man can do any more than destroy this body. That's it. And if I belong to Christ, I go to heaven. I join Him. But God can destroy not just the body, but the soul for eternity in hell. Let's stop for just a moment here. Hell. Let's look at hell. You know, it's something that we, a term that we use flippantly sometimes. I've heard the word come out of Christians' mouths. Let me rephrase that. People who profess to be Christians' mouths as a curse word. I've heard people condemn other people to hell. You just go on to, and say it that way, cursing. But hell is no joke, and it is a curse. Hell is a place where the worm eats, but never devours. I don't know exactly what that feels like, but I can tell you, when I'm working out in the garden and the flies and the mosquitoes are biting on me, I want that to stop. So I can't imagine what it is to be eaten without being devoured. It is also the place of fire, sulfur. It is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is the place where the wrath of God is poured out on men, human, and on those fallen angels who followed Satan to that same punishment. This is hell. This is hell. We have been delivered from hell by God. Now, I, I look back at my life, especially before I was saved. I know what I have been saved from. I know what I deserve. How about you? Do you know what you deserve? Do you understand that you deserve hell? That there is nothing about you that is considered good that you would deserve heaven? Everything about you says you deserve to go to hell. Do we understand that? And yet, even though that's what I deserve, even though that's what you deserve, those of us who believe have been rescued from the wrath of God in hell by Jesus Christ. Everybody here knows I, I enjoy the Andy Griffith show. There is an episode of Andy Griffith where there's a fire in the, in the gas station. Okay, some smoldering rags in the rag. And Andy comes in and he puts out the fire and wakes Gomer pile up and Gomer says, you've saved me. And so from then on in the show, Gomer Pyle is doing everything he can to give thanks to Andy. He has dedicated his life to showing how thankful he is for having his life saved. He is dedicating his life. And we, we've seen this in real life with people too, haven't we? We've seen this kind of a thing take place. We, we've heard of, of people who have basically sold themselves into slavery because someone saved them. But how much greater should our appreciation be for someone who has not just saved us from a physical death, but from an eternal death? 
shouldn't that appreciation flow? Shouldn't that appreciation be great? Shouldn't that appreciation show like it says here in verse 74? Speaking of so that we might serve Him without fear. That we might serve Him without fear. How long and how much should we serve Him? Let's go on to the next verse. Well, first we should serve Him in holiness. Breaks for a second. Remember what holiness means. When we talk about God's holiness, too often what we're talking about when we talk of His holiness is His righteousness. His holiness is that He is set apart. His righteousness is a clear example of Him being set apart. We are not like Him. He is not like us. And there is nothing and no one to compare to God, right? No one. Nothing that compares to God. We cannot make an example of someone or something in this world and say this is like God. Because there isn't one. So He is set apart. And He calls us to be set apart. Not to be set apart to be Him. He is Him. He is Him. We are to be set apart from the world. And it ought to show. It ought to show. Unfortunately, we get to be a little too filled up with ourselves, don't we? I mean, I'm not alone, am I? I was at the pharmacy this week and I went to the line where you're supposed to stand until they wave you up. And I'm standing there. I'm trying to get some attention back there. And a man walks up from the other side, comes up to the counter, and they go wait on him. I said, hmm. My thoughts were not what they should have been. But I said, okay, I'll wait. Five minutes goes. Eight minutes goes. They're done serving him. And now they're just having a conversation and I'm standing there. About 15 minutes, I decided it was time for me to get out of line because when I got up there, I didn't want to ruin my witness because I was too full of myself that I should have been more important. You ever been there? We are to be set aside. We are to be holy. And when that kind of thing happens to us, and I really believe it happens to all of us, when that happens, we need to remember who we are. If we can't control our thoughts, then let's control our actions. And I had to get out of line and and go away and come back another time. So we are to be holy. We're to be set apart. We're to be different. But in that holiness, we're to be righteous. Well, the Scriptures tell us about all this righteousness that we have, right? We just talked about it a moment ago. We haven't any. We have no righteousness of our own. In fact, everything about us is unrighteous. Even our good works. The Scriptures tell us that our good works are as what? Filthy rags. It's not talking about a mechanic shop greasy rag. It is talking about minstrel rags. That is what our good works are. They are horrible and wretched and nasty. That's our good works. Our righteousness, including our good works, must come from Christ. Must come. We must be covered in Christ. And then he says this. We're to serve Him without fear. And that that without fear is, is without fear of hell. In holiness and righteousness, before Him, all our days. Hear this? All our days. Not some of our days. Not even most of our days. This is a place where I was blessed to know 
Gail Dexter. When, when Gail couldn't physically serve as he had for so many years, he spent time in study and sharing with the people around him when he was living in the independent living. When he moved to assisted living, he continued to do exactly that, to study and to share with those around him, continued to be in church. When he moved to skilled nursing, and he couldn't read anymore, he couldn't share a whole lot anymore, he sat there in his room with his Bible, and he prayed. And I assure you, not once did he pray, Lord, make me healthy. He may have prayed, Lord, hurry up and come get me. But he did not pray, make me healthy. But he did pray for people, for ministries, for those things that he saw. And to me, that is a picture of all the days of our life. There are things that I could do 20 years ago that I can't do today. In fact, I finally am getting smart enough to know not to try them anymore. But that doesn't mean I can't do anything. And it doesn't mean you can't do anything. We take our our bad backs, our bad knees, our bad necks. We take our illnesses. We take everything that's going on. And we serve with all that we have. For what reason? So people will say, you're such a good Christian, right? No. For the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16. Right there on the back of your bulletin. I use it up here often. I love it. This is, this is such a precious verse to me. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to serve Him. And what does it look like to serve God? Well, we just said that in Gail's final days, he was praying for people, praying for ministries. That's what it looks like to serve God. You know, we we have this lady who comes and helps with the shared blessings ministry. She shows up here early mornings a couple times a week now and just goes about her business. She's not here to impress anybody. She's just serving God in a ministry that she sees fit to serve Him in. We have men in this church who have signed themselves or their families up to mow once a once a month, roughly, this property. If you haven't ever mowed this property, you don't know what mowing is. <laughs> because this, we have ups and we have downs, we have holes, we have we have gravel, we have sand, we have hills, we have weeds that eat, weed killer. We have we have trees that grow up where trees aren't supposed to grow. We. We have concrete that's washed out underneath that these men have been feeling, filling up. It's, it's a service. And none of these men who are, are doing this mowing are coming in here and telling people at the door, hey, did you see I, I mowed? It looks good, doesn't it? I did that. I've not seen anyone do that. We have people who, who do all sorts of things in this building and for this ministry as a service to God. And that is extremely important. And every one of you should have your services that you are doing. But also, every one of you should have your times that you are praying for this ministry, for ministry, for Christians, for lost, for each other. 
And every one of you, as part of your service, should be spending time in God's Word, studying His Word, so that you can grow. And honestly, if you're using a book to use to study God's Word, make sure first it's a decent author. And then no matter how good an author it is, I mean, my favorite is John MacArthur, but I still take everything right back to God's Word to make sure that what he says is true. Because God's Word is the authority on God's Word. Not John MacArthur, not R.C. Sproul, and most certainly not Jim Lowry. God is the authority of God's Word. And then finally, part of your service, every single one of you, should be to be active in the worship and and ministry of the church. When we gather together, Scripture tells us not to forsake gathering together as some do. I'm going to mess with Scripture for just a second. What I think that means is quit being a heathen and get to church. Quit living like the world and get in there and encourage each other as you worship and grow in Christ. And we're to do this all the days of our life. He turns his attention, verse 76, to his son. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His way. But we know he's talking about John the Baptist. His son is John the Baptist. This this child, he already sees, he already knows that this child is going to grow up to prepare the way for the Savior, for Jesus Christ. He is the voice calling in the wilderness. And what is the message of preparation that He brings? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Today's a a day where we're wearing our brakes out. So we take the brakes again. What does it mean to repent? I actually was visiting with someone this week, earlier this week, and they've heard the word repent all their life and didn't know what it meant. We get so comfortable with certain things that we're used to hearing that they slide over our head and we don't pay attention to them anymore. Others hear those words and they don't pay attention because they don't know what they mean. I think there's a place in the middle where we're supposed to be where not only do we know what it means, but we are a part of it. To repent means to turn away from our sin. And not just to turn away from the sin, but to turn away from the sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Because if you are in sin, you are going away from Christ. But turning from that sin could lead you to more sin, another sin, if you do not turn to Christ. Amen. Repentance is such an important part of the Christian walk. Remember what Paul said in Romans 6? Shall we sin more so grace may abound more? God forbid. When God chooses us to be a part of his elect, he calls us to live and to be conformed according to the likeness of Christ, to repent of our sins and to follow after him. I hope you will join us again next week for the conclusion of this most important message. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to help support the continued broadcasting of Light of the Word Radio, or if you have a prayer request or question, we can be reached at 1-800-416-9352. That's 1-800-416-9352. Or we can be contacted on our website, 
www.lightofthewordradio.com. That's www.lightofthewordradio.com. I would like to thank you once again for listening to Light of the Word Radio, sponsored by Lighthouse Baptist Church. May you never stop praising God for His faithfulness, and may God bless you and the hearing of His Word. Hello friends, Pastor Jim here with today's final word. I want to start by thanking Matthew for filling in for Pastor Eugene and I as we have been out of pocket. He's taking care of everything and he does it so joyfully and we appreciate that. Today I would like to invite you to be a part of our radio ministry. We're surprised when God gave this ministry to us. We have been thankful for it and we'd like to get first your input. Tell us what you are hearing. Tell us those things that are encouraging you so that we continue in the direction of encouragement as we do bring the, the truth, and only the truth, according to the Word of God. And then also we ask you to join us financially. We would like to expand into other markets. Right now we're everywhere from Bakersfield, California, to Richmond, Virginia, Pensacola, Florida. We're, we're all across the country, but uh, we'd like to expand. And you can do that by going to Light of the Word Radio. Dot com. That's lightofthewordradio.com. Click on the Partner tab or the Contact Us tab and let us know what you think. Until next time, Sola Deo Gloria. Music